Welcome. Welcome. Yeah, yeah. Can everybody say hello? hello. Okay, good. We'll just wake you up a little bit, even though you're the late crowd. Um, it's good to, good to see you. As, as Pastor Daniel said, my name is David, and I used to be on staff here, and, and I was actually um, saved here um, 2011. Um, back in that, that mother's room, I was uh, venturing down here, a new believers class. I God, I, shoot, the world had kind of I'd had enough of the world, let's just say that, and God had had enough of me having enough of the world. So um, came here and uh, was saved, baptized on this stage. So much as good things have happened, and then at one point they brought me on staff, and I used to be able to get to sit out and shake everybody's hand and hug everybody. And So there's some people here I know, but I've noticed this weekend there's a lot of new people. So welcome, new people. Um, we're glad to have you here. Um, love to meet you. My family's here today, my, my wife and two of my three daughters, and so thank you for being here. I had to bribe them. Um, I, think I, I think I owe my middle daughter some new rims for her Jeep, um, so, um, but uh, we'll, we'll negotiate that. Um, it's an exciting time to be here, and it truly is an honor. I want to say thank you once again to Taylor Daniel and Pastor Ray for having me here. It is truly an honor to be able to come back as this was our home for so long, and, and now God has us in another place, but um, Calvary is, is home for us, and so it's great to be here with you. It's an honor. We're going to have some fun today. Well, not a lot of fun, but... Um, <laughs> <laughs> but we're going we're gonna to learn the word of God, which is better than fun, okay? And in that, we can find joy and peace and all, all the things. So let's stand up because we're going to hold tradition. And I'm going to read the scripture. Um, we're going to honor God with his word and reading it back to him so that we can hear what he has to say for us today. We are in the book of Mark, chapter 12, the parable of the tenants. It's, God's word would say this. He then began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a pit for the wine press, and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and went away on a journey. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants to collect from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. But they seized him, beat him, and sent him away empty-handed. Then he sent another servant to them, and they struck this man on the head and treated him shamefully. He sent still another, and that one they killed. He sent many others, and some of them they beat, others they killed. He had one left to send a son whom he loved. He sent him last of all, saying, they will respect my son. But the tenants said to one another, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they took him, killed him, and threw him out of the vineyard. What then will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. Haven't you read the scripture? The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone. The Lord has done this and it is marvelous in our eyes. Then they looked for a way to arrest him because they knew he had spoken the parable against them. But they were afraid of the crowd, so they left him and went away. Let's pray. Dear Father, we lift up your word to you today. God, um, we are so thankful that, that you love us enough to continue to teach us and grow us and mature us through the study of your word. Today we get into it to have a deeper understanding of how it, what the implications for us are today. So God, we pray we have open eyes to see, open ears to hear, and open hearts to be transformed and moved to a different place. God, with, if we just read your word without transformation, it is just knowledge. God, we don't need more knowledge. We need a heart change. God, we pray for that today. In Jesus' name, amen. Go and have a seat. So, in my studies this week, 
I came across a fourth grade class. And in this fourth grade class, there was a bunch of students and it happened to be Friday. And on Friday of this, this fourth grade class, the teacher says, hey, what are you guys gonna do this weekend? And so the little girl raised her hand and says, you know what, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna go to church. And I'm gonna go to church and I'm gonna learn about Jesus. And Jesus is awesome. And I love Jesus. And we're gonna learn about, you know, his death, his resurrection. And Jesus is amazing. And the teacher is like, looks at her and says, I don't, like, do you really believe in that hocus pocus? That stuff's not real, right? You're like, you get that. Like that, that's just, that's just stuff that's good for morals and that kind of thing. But, but Jesus isn't real. And she's like, no, no, Jesus is real. It says right here in my Bible, right here in Mark, it tells how he came, he lived and, and, and then he taught us and then he died and then he rose again on the cross. And she's like, she's like, come on now. You can't believe that can't believe that. And she's like, no, really, really. It's, it's right here in Mark. And when I get to heaven one day, I'm going to go up to Mark and I'm going to meet Mark and I'm going to ask him about all he wrote. And he's going to tell me. And the teacher's like, well, wait a second. Like, what happens if you go to heaven and Mark's not there? What happens if Mark's in hell? Girl thinks about it for a second. She says, well, then you can ask him. <laughs> I'll never get old of telling that joke. It is beautiful. Yeah, we just laugh it out. It's good. Pro process through it. I told you we weren't going to have fun. We're going to have a little bit of fun. Here's what you got to understand. There are those teachers, those type of people all over our world today. And it's not new to our modern day at all. In fact, we're going to find out as we read our passage, there have been people that have had hardened hearts towards Jesus. It, the Bible tells us that people will just have hardened hearts and want to push back just for the sake of his name. Since the beginning of time, people have rejected Jesus. And in our passage today, we are going to see the rejection of a certain group of people. But the reason why I chose this, and, and, and if you look at it, you go, okay, well, there's like 37 to 40 parables. And there's some uplifting fun ones. Like, David, why would you choose a parable about judgment? And the reason why is because I think it has implications for the church today. And that's what we're going to explore. But first, before we go into that, let's explore why parables, right? These, this story, right? Oftentimes we see parables. Um, people often think that they're nice stories, good little stories, Put alongside a truth. In fact, para means to put alongside something. These stories, these illustrations, these allegories, put alongside a truth so that we can understand it easier. That's what a lot of people think parables are. And I think at times we can look at those and go, yeah, I can, I can, I can get a better understanding of what that meant now when Jesus explains it through parables. But the reality is, is Jesus had something different in mind when he was speaking through parables. In fact, if we go to Matthew 13, Verse 10, it says, the disciples came to him and asked, why do you speak to the people in parables? He replied, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them, them as parables, is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. And then Jesus goes on to tell of Isaiah 6, 9, and 10. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. 
or hardened. They hardly hear with, they, with their ears and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts and turn and I would heal them. See, we see in this particular passage right there that we see that actually Jesus spoke in parables not to make it easier for us to understand he actually spoke in parables in a way of dividing those who would have softened hearts that would want to hear more against those that had hardened hearts they weren't meant to understand the parables in fact an unbeliever today should have a tough time understanding the parables and understanding what they are really about but Jesus used these parables, and in, in, in all parables, um, you see three different things. One, he speaks about the kingdom of heaven. He often starts a parable in the way the kingdom of heaven is like. But they're also about salvation. They're also about gospel. They're also about the good news of Jesus Christ. They're actually a way of getting, making people have to make a choice on whether they want to believe or not believe. And finally, parables can be about judgment. For those who decide not to accept Jesus as Lord and Savior, these are, there are judgment parables. And this particular parable is a judgment parable. Now, to understand the chief priests, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, they didn't understand most of the parables because they had hardened or callous hearts. That's what Jesus tells us in Isaiah, that they will not see, they will not hear, they will not understand. But for some reason, this particular parable, these people understood. And we're gonna explore that today. And I'm gonna tell you up front, not only do they understand it, it makes them angry. Now, let's talk a little bit of context, which in the last service I forgot. So, you know, the great thing about three services for you guys is by 11 o'clock, you finally can get it all together. So you guys get my A game, hopefully, right? Hopefully. But here's the deal, context. What is going on? What led to this parable? Well, we are in the middle of Holy Week. This would be Tuesday or Wednesday, depending on the way you look at Holy Week, okay? Jesus came in on Sunday in his triumphal entry and everybody's singing, Hosanna, Hosanna. He rides with humble beginnings and he comes in and everybody is happy that Jesus comes in. And it's a great day. But then on Monday, Jesus goes into the temple and he overthrows the tables of the money changers. This is the second time he did it. He did it at the beginning of his ministry and he's mad and he's overthrowing it. And then Jesus goes on a walk with his disciples and he sees a fig tree. And in this fig tree, he actually curses it so it will never bear fruit again. Now this fig tree or this never bearing fruit again is actually kind of a, the, the idea was, that that fruit, they would never bear fruit again, is in relation to the nation of Israel. And so they're starting to see and they're starting to get upset because this Jesus is disrupting their way of life. See, they have figured out how to live within Roman times under Roman authority where they could just coexist together in a nice, calm, easy, normal way. And here's this Jesus coming with this new gospel this good news and he's disrupting everything and people are starting to pay attention to him more than they are to the teachers of the law. And they're getting upset by it. And so what they do is in, in uh, um, uh, Mark 11, they start to, they ask him, by what authority are you doing these things, they, they ask, and who gave you the authority to do this? The miracles, the curses, all of these different things, the healings that he's doing. By what authority do you get this? You're not getting it by our authority. We're the leaders. 
So whose authority are you getting this from? So Jesus replies, I will ask you one question, answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I am going to do these things. John's baptism, was it from heaven or from men? Tell me. They discussed it among themselves and said, if we say from heaven, he will ask, then why didn't you believe in him? But if we say from men, they feared the people for everyone held that John really was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we don't know. So Jesus in turn says, neither will I tell you by what authority am I doing these things. So Jesus in his nice creative ways, when he got asked questions, he would just ask a question back because they were trying to catch him in lies or blaspheming and then he would give it back to them and he'd put them in a trap where he couldn't answer. So he, he just says, okay, well, if you can't answer it, then I don't have to give you my answer either. So they're in this place and there's a tension between them. They're getting frustrated with Jesus. And Jesus, if you go through the scripture, he, he loves to frustrate the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the teachers of the law, these people who are living out their faith and making up rules. He loves to do this. And so that brings us to the parable. They question his authority and now he's going to give them a parable. It says, he then began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it and dug a pit for the wine press and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and went away on a journey. So the first thing we have to figure out is, who is this man? Who are these farmers? And what's this vineyard about? In order to understand that, we have to go back to the Old Testament. We have to go back to Isaiah. We have to go back to Isaiah 5, 1 through 7. Read along with me. I will sing for the one I love, a song about his vineyard. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up and cleared of stones and planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it and cut out a wine press as well. Do we see some similarities between our passage today and this? Then he looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. So first of all, the vineyard, in the Old Testament, when God referred to the vineyard, he was referring to the nation of Israel. So in this parable, the vineyard is the nation of Israel. The man is God. The man planted, planted his vineyard, which was the nation of Israel, and he expected it to bear good fruit, okay? But when he comes back, he looks for good fruit, but he only sees bad fruit. Now let's keep going. Now you dwellers in Jerusalem and men of Judah, so um, judge between me and my vineyard. What more could I have done for my vineyard than I have done for it? When I look for grapes, why did it yield only bad? Now I will tell you what I am going to do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge. Hedge would mean protection. And it will be destroyed. I will break down its wall and it will be trampled. I will make it a wasteland, neither pruned nor cultivated. And briars and thorns will grow there. I will command the clouds not to rain on it. The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the house of of Israel and the men of Judah are the garden of his delight. And he looked for justice, but saw bloodshed, for righteousness, but heard cries of distress. So we see in this picture that God planted this vineyard, these choice grapes, the nation of Israel. They were supposed to be his people. He would be their God. They would show a way of living that would be separate from all other nations. And God comes back only to see that they're bearing bad fruit. 
See, in this time when Isaiah gave it, God pronounced judgment on them. And this is the first or the final, actually, um, exile into Babylon. God actually led Babylon in 587-86 against the Jewish people. And they came in, they destroyed the, the temple, they killed a bunch of Jewish people, and they exiled the rest of the Jews into Babylon. The nation of Israel was no longer at this time. They were no longer going to be his people. He, they were in exile. God was not going to use them any longer. He placed judgment on them because of their spiritual apathy, because they were worshiping other gods, because they were worshiping idols, because they were indifferent to God, because they even were putting injustice on their own people. They were oppressing their own people, not only the nations outside, but they were even oppressing their own people. They were making money off of poor. They were doing all these things. And God said, I had had enough. And so in this parable, we see that Jesus is referring back to something that these teachers of the law, these rabbis, they would have understood that the last time a prophet said something about this, we were wiped out. No more. Okay? So, once again, he goes on. He says, at harvest time, I sent a servant to the tenants to collect from some of the fruit of the vineyard. But they seized him, beat him, and sent him away empty-handed. Then he sent another servant to them. They struck this man on the head and treated him shamefully. He sent still another, and that one they killed. He sent many others, and some of them were beat, and others they killed. Now, the next thing we got to find out is who are these servants? In order to find out who the servants are, we have to refer back to Jeremiah. I love the Old Testament, so you're going to get a lot of it today. I hope you like it as much as me. Everybody's like, what? Why is he going back to the Old Testament? Um, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Go ahead, add your burnt offerings to your other sacrifices and eat the, off, um, and eat the meat yourselves. For when I brought your forefathers out of Egypt and spoke to them, I did not just give them commands about burnt offerings and sacrifices, but I gave them this command. Obey me and I will be your God and you will be my people. Walk in all the ways I command you that it may go well with you. But they did not listen or pay attention. Instead, they followed the stubborn inclinations of their evil hearts. They went backward and not forward from, time, from the time your forefathers left Egypt until now. Day after day, again and again, I sent you my servants, the prophets. But they did not listen to me or pay attention. They were stiff-necked and even did more evil. See, God sent prophets as his servants over and over and over and over again. Hey, God said this. God said, stop doing this. God said, repent. God said, turn back to him. God said, stop worshiping idols. And what did they do? They beat, killed, got, got away with them, didn't listen. In fact, Isaiah, by his own people, by the Jewish people, was actually put into a tree, stump of a tree, and sawed in half with a wooden saw. In fact, in Hebrews 37, or 11.37, listen to what it says. This is what it says about the prophets. It says, some faced jeers and flogging while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned, they were sawed in two, they were put to death by the sword. They went out about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. Prophets from the beginning of time, God would send them, and the Jewish people were constantly beating, killing, hitting, doing away with them. They didn't want to hear what these prophets would say because then they'd have to face the judgment. And their hearts were calloused and they were stiff-necked people so they wouldn't repent. Because why? Because they wanted control over everything. 
So here we are, we see that now we have the man being God, we have a vineyard being the nation of Israel, we have the farmers and the renters of this that he left, that's the Jewish people, the high priests. They were left to, to grow, steward over the land, the vineyard. Let's go on. He had one left to send, a son whom he loved. I love that. That, that word loved right there is agapitos, which means beloved, which means begotten. So this man, this man says, if I send my son, they won't kill my son. And he sent him last of all saying, they will respect my son. If I send my one last heir, these people will at least respect him. I mean, I get the prophets, but they're gonna respect my son. It's by this time that these Jewish people, these high priests, these teachers of law are starting to understand, wait a second. Wait, 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 wait. He's talking about us. This guy that we don't like already is now placing judgment on us. Let's go on. But the tenants said to one another, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him and the inheritance will be ours. So they took him and killed him and threw him out into the vineyard. Who was the son? The son was Jesus. See, what we have to understand in this moment is that the vineyard was given to the nation of Israel by God to steward over until the coming of the Messiah. The problem with this was the nation of Israel didn't want stewardship, they wanted ownership. They wanted control, they wanted power. They wanted to make their own rules. And in this moment, they see, okay, here's the son, he's come, but we're not ready to give up the vineyard yet, so what we'll do is we'll take and we'll kill him, and then we will get the land. We will get the vineyard. What then will the owner of the vineyard do? The owner being God. He will come and he will kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. Haven't you read the scripture? The stone the builders rejected has become the capstone or cornerstone. The Lord has done this and it is marvelous in our eyes. See, in this moment, the final judgment was placed. Jesus says that God, the owner of the vineyard, they would have known they were the vineyard, that they were going to be killed. They were going to be taken away from the vineyard. Final judgment had been placed and they would have known that when God places final judgment, he keeps his promises. And then he goes on to say that the stone of the builders rejected has become the capstone. That stone is Jesus he has become the final completion. He is the one that was supposed to come, the one that they had been waiting for. They'd been waiting for a Messiah. The Old Testament prophecies had said this Messiah would come and he's saying that they will reject him, but he will still become the capstone, the cornerstone. He will become the final piece of the puzzle that will inherit all of the kingdom of God that God has given him. Then they looked for a way to arrest him because they knew he had spoken the parable against them, but they were afraid of the crowd, so they left him and went away. See, in this moment, because they wanted ownership and not stewardship, they knew they were in a kill or be killed situation. 
They knew judgment had been placed on them. They understood it. They understood this parable. It says it. They looked away to arrest him because they knew he had spoken the parable against them. In this moment, God opened their hearts enough to know that I just placed judgment on you and this vineyard is going to be taken away. See, that Psalm that Jesus quotes is Psalm 118. Psalm 118 is part of what we call the Hallel in the Psalms. The Hallel is Psalm 113 to 118. Psalm 118 was the psalm that they were singing and praising Jesus with when he came in in his triumphal entry, singing, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. These same people are going to be the same people that were shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, that are going to be saying, crucify him, crucify him, because everything that they believed in was being taken away. The other thing you have to know about this is that Jesus places this judgment on them so that they will figure out a way to arrest him and ultimately kill him. See, Jesus started the process of his own death because he he knew he needed to fulfill God's will. Before we move on, I want to talk about two things. You see how many different prophets? I think there's 12 minor prophets and potentially three to four other, five, six other, seven, eight other major prophets. You know how many times God gave the nation of Israel mercy? He is a merciful God. He doesn't place judgment until you finally are so resistant that it's like the only way I can get through to you is through consequences and repercussions for your actions. Let me tell you, if you're here today and you feel like you've been judged or got consequences and repercussions from God, there's a good chance that he sent a lot of verbals your way saying, hey, you're doing something wrong. But at one point, because he's a good father, as a good parent, there has to be consequences and repercussions for our actions. So a God of mercy does what he does, but ultimately he has to place judgment. Now, now we've come to the point where Why judgment, David? Why would you choose this? This isn't very uplifting. My Sunday's not better because of this. Let me me see if I can help make it better. See, verse nine says, what then will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyard to others. Those others were gonna be the disciples. See, he was gonna take away the vineyard from the, the current tenants, which be the nation of Israel, and he was ultimately gonna give it to the church. The disciples was gonna be the others that he was going to give the vineyard to, to grow and to cultivate. And ultimately those disciples at Pentecost would preach the word of God and the church would grow. The church would become what it is today. We are now the farmers. We are now the tenants of the kingdom of God or what the nation of Israel would call the vineyard. See, in 70 AD, actually let's go back, in 66 AD, The Jewish people led a revolt against Rome and took over Jerusalem, but it was very short-lived because there was a Caesar named Nero. And Nero hated Christians. And we're about 36 years in a place where the church is growing. People are believing the good news. They believe in Jesus. They love Jesus. Buildings are being built and it's starting to become a threat against Rome. So 
Jerusalem being conquered or taken over by the Jews was the last straw. Nero was a crazy man. In fact, some say he persecuted more Christians than anybody ever in the history. And so he starts this war, ultimately dies in 68. And then in 70, Titus and his son Vespasian, they go in and they literally obliterate and wipe out the Jewish people. They break down the the temple, the second temple that was built. The only thing that is left there today is the welling wall. If you've seen in Jerusalem, that big wall where you see people praying from, that's the only remnant left of the war in 70 AD that conquered all of Jerusalem, wiped out every Jew, all their relics, all their traditions, wiped them clean. The judgment that Jesus was talking about happened in 70 AD. So what's left? You and I. See, That judgment was placed on the Jews so that God, through Jesus Christ, now Jews and Gentiles alike, we are Gentiles in this room, would be able to grow and cultivate the vineyard in the proper way. So the question we have to ask today is, how as a church are we doing at growing and cultivating the vineyard? Are we stewarding the vineyard well? Or are we no different than the Jews back then that wanted ownership of it? Are we wanting to make the rules? Are we wanting power? When pandemics and injustice and all this stuff, are we creating our own ways of handling it? Are we pressing into the scripture? Are we seeking God for how Jesus would have come? Because Jesus showed us how to grow and cultivate. Jesus walked up to a marginalized person, a person that was getting injustice, a person who was hated, a person who was saw less than. Jesus walked up and loved that person. Are we judging like the Jews? Are we loving like Jesus? Are we worshiping God with all of our hearts, minds, and soul? Are you cultivating your own faith? Are you in a life group? Are you showing up to church? Are you getting involved? People at home, we love you. We are so glad you're with us right now. But if you're using home church uh, on Facebook as a way, we need you here. You're part of the vineyard. You can't do this Christian life alone. I'm sorry, it has to be done together. It's a fellowship of believers. Fellowship means coming together. I don't say it meanfully, but I want to invite you back in because we've got an awesome responsibility that God has given us. He's given us this responsibility to come together and unite. Love God, love one another, forgive one another, show each other empathy, show each other compassion. He's given us this awesome responsibility, but with that comes what? Responsibility. How are we stewarding the vineyard? Let me, let me take it a little bit deeper. As an individual, the word tells us that we are part of the body of Christ with Jesus as the head. If that's the case, then you've been given a responsibility as an individual. So I'll ask you this. If you've been given your own piece of the vineyard, your own piece of the kingdom of God to grow and cultivate, how are you doing that? How are you doing that? At your home, Your family, husband, are you loving your wife in complete submission and reverence as Jesus loved the church? Wives, are you loving your husbands in complete submission and obedience 
Not in a worldly fashion, but in reverence and awe, but that has to be earned. How are we teaching our kids? How are we talking to our friends? How are we talking to people at work? Are we getting involved in the crude, rude jokes? As an individual, how are you cultivating, how are you growing the own, your own vineyard that God's given you? This is the question we have to ask today. This is the implication for the church. Because if we've been given this free gift, what are we doing with it? See, the nation of Israel, they didn't do what they were supposed to with it. And ultimately, it got taken away. If Jesus was to come back today, how would he find you growing and cultivating your vineyard? Would he come back and see good fruit? Would he come back, see you legs kicked up on the lawn chair? Watching the weeds grow? Or worse off, would he come back and see that the vineyard he gave you, that you're not even there tending to it and it's barren? What would Jesus find today if he came back and saw the church's vineyard, saw the church? What would he say? We have to ask that question today because we've been given an awesome responsibility and we live in a broken world that in my, my 50 years of living, I've never seen more sin, more worldliness, more pride, more riches, more greed. I've never seen it in my lifetime. And God left this, this kingdom of God that's here the kingdom of heaven is here, but not yet. We can live in a heavenly place right here on earth, but we have a responsibility in that. So I ask you again, what are we doing to grow and cultivate the vineyard? I wanna end with this. This weekend, um, yesterday, um, one of our elders um, about two or three weeks ago, um, maybe, yeah, about two or three weeks ago, one of the elders of this church passed. His name's Steve Woolery. You've probably seen Steve because I think he's the tallest guy in this church except for one other guy. Steve was a, was a giant, but he was a gentle giant. This one was amazing. He, at 53 years old, our Lord found it time to take him home. And it was, it was hard for all of us because I can tell you in my time as a Christian, Steve was one of the... <laughs> It's my third time. Steve was one of um, the most encouraging men. No matter what I had to go through in here, Steve constantly was lifting me up and encouraging. I know he's been that way for a lot of other people. But we came here yesterday for a memorial and also a celebration of life. When Steve passed, we saw a lot of Facebook posts and one of the resounding things that most people said was Steve was a godly man. See, godly means holy, righteous, but most of all, it means set apart, that he was different. Not in a righteous, prideful way, but in a way that reflected Jesus. See, Steve was a great man. He was a good man. And for Steve's entire life, he worshiped God with all of his heart, mind, and soul. This reflected in his words and his actions. Yesterday, we came here, and for two hours, we got to listen to so many people say so many wonderful things about Steve. Got to hear a best friend talk about times that they had spent together, about accountability, about doing life together, about their families traveling together, about life group, about their kids growing up together. We got to hear a boss come up here and say that Steve actually in his work life lived out Jesus 
was kind and gentle, empathetic, was different than the rest of the people. He had a page front and back of all these kind words of all the people that Steve had worked with, that he had done business with. We got to watch his family come up. <laughs> still see the picture. But his three kids talk about how much their dad loved them and said that he was proud of them all the time, said he loved them and cared for him. When I heard that, it made me want to get up out of my seat and go start working on being a better dad. See, the testimony that we heard yesterday, if you were listening, if you were listening, it made you want to go tend your vineyard bender. It made you understand that you've been given something that you don't deserve. What are you doing with it? Well, Steve showed us what to do with it. Pastor Ray wrapped it up by saying, when you saw Steve, you saw Jesus. I pray one day, Someone says that about me. See, Steve understood what he had been given and he lived his life the way. The question we have to ask today, what are we doing with the free gift? As a church, as an individual, how are we tending to the kingdom of God that is here and now? So much work to be done. And it can't be done fighting over I call it what I call theology throwdowns. If it's not about salvation, if it's not about people coming to Christ, it's about knowing Jesus and then going out and showing Jesus. I want to end with God's mercy and grace because, because he trusts us and gave us this mercy and this grace in our lives what happens to the nation of Israel? One of the big questions I asked when I first came to know Jesus, I'm like, well, if, if they, they were responsible for bringing Jews to, or bringing Jesus to his death, like what happens to them? The Apostle Paul tells us, and it's another amazing display of God's grace and mercy in all of his children's lives. Listen to this, Romans 11, 25. Paul is saying this to the church in Rome. He says, I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers, so that you may not be conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of Gentiles comes in. The reason why the Israelites had to, God ordained this in his sovereignty, he had to harden their heart so that you and I had a chance to come to know Jesus. That's amazing. And so all Israel will be saved. It is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will turn godlessness away from Jacob. And this is my covenant with them that I will take away their sins. This is a prophetic um, word that comes from Jeremiah 31. Well, God said that this would happen, but then one day I will turn them from their sins and they will see my son for who he is. As far as the gospel is concerned, they are enemies on your account. But as far as election is concerned, they are loved on account of the patriarchs, the patriarchs being the forefathers. For God's gift and his call are irrevocable. That means unchanging. That means God's promises last forever. Just as you who were once at one time disobedient to God have now received mercy as a result of their disobedience, so they too have now become disobedient in order, in order 
that they too may now receive mercy as a result of God's mercy to you. For God has bound all men over to disobedience so that he may have mercy on them all. See, we are disobedient and we sin so that God can understand that we need a savior. It's not by mistake that you do the wrong thing. He allows you to do all the wrong things, sin and do all those things. So at one point you can get on your knees and go, God, I need a savior. And his name's Jesus Christ. See, this is the way God works. Sometimes we don't like the way he works, but this is the way he works. Because he cares about you and I and he cares about all of his people and he's willing to do anything to get you and I to get on our hands and knees and say, Jesus is my Lord. He's still doing that today. He'll be doing it until his return. We've got a job to do. I'm gonna end with this. Tina, thank you. You've been wonderful this weekend, so thank you. I think I preach better with you. Can you come up with, can I borrow her? Um, no, okay, sorry. Listen to this, this is so good. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his past beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. And all of his people said, Amen. Father, uh, Father, thank you for your word and your guidance and your counsel in preaching your word. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. God, as, as the church, we need mercy and grace. As individuals, we need mercy and grace. God, never, please never stop taking that away from us. God, it tells us that your mercy and grace are unending. May we live in that grace. May we be overwhelmed by that grace to move us to a place where our hearts are transformed, our actions, the way we live our life is like Steve. Thank you, Steve, for your amazing, amazing guidance in how that we should show Jesus and how we should love people. God, he is with you, watching over us, but we lift up his family to you as they grieve. May you give them comfort, as your word says. God, thank you for Calvary Community Church. They are a church on mission. They are a church that desires to grow and cultivate what they've been given. So God, give them blessing, give them guidance, give them desire, give them passion, give them unity, give them protection. Most of all, give them love. Give them the love to be that light in this community that shines bright. God, we are one church, we are your church. May Icon, may Calvary, may all the churches in these areas, may we cultivate and grow what we've been given. God, thank you for your trust. May we have that same trust in you today. God, we praise you and we worship you in Jesus' name, amen.